and victory to claim. There is healing in his holy presence. There is power in his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is hope, there is strength, and victory to claim. There is healing in his holy presence. There is power in his name. There is power in his name. Praise the Lord. That's a great song. What a powerful message. Amen. Powerful message. Well, we've been dealing with our theme for a long time now. And our theme this year, our new theme is do the simple well. And in order to do the simple well, you got to get down to the simple. So we've been talking about making it simple. Now today we're going to kind of put that on the back burner and we're going to look at something else because of our special day today. And we'll pick back up next week on making things simple again. And uh, so uh, if you are interested in how to make some things simple, you ought to come out and join us, all right? But anyway, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next week also. But for today, we want to turn our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, we're going to begin reading in verse 12, Acts chapter 26. And in this particular passage, uh, before we arrive at verse 12, we're going to note that Jesus had already told the Apostle Paul that he would bear witness of him in Rome. And so Paul had already come to the realization that he would find himself there before Caesar, that he would find himself there in Rome. And so what would transpire over the next few chapters is that he would be making a journey ultimately there. And a lot of things had to happen. A lot of things took place prior to getting there. Uh, It was a, a very rocky road, if you will. There was quite a bit of difficulty amidst that travel, but there was a plot against Paul's life right off the bat. There were those that had made a vow to themselves and to God that they would not, uh, they they wouldn't even let their hair grow until they, they saw Paul the apostle dead. And so there were a number of people that were after Paul that did not appreciate his ministry or his message. And so he was ultimately sent to Felix, the governor, for safety, because these people had conspired against him. They had sought his very life. Uh, Felix now uh, finds the Apostle Paul before him. Uh, Felix now would listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say. And after hearing his side of the story, realizes and recognizes that the Apostle Paul really hadn't done anything to deserve death, that he really wasn't guilty of anything serious. And So nonetheless, before it's over with, we find him before Festus now. He ships him on up to the next one and says, listen, I've heard the guy. I I can't find any reason to keep him uh, held here, but he's he's, he's already telling me he wants to, he's a Roman citizen. He's already telling me he wants to go before uh, Caesar, Augustus. So I can't just let him go now because we've started this process. So in essence, he sends him to the next higher up. Well, Festus. So now Festus listens to the apostle Paul and and he, he hears him out and Man, what a message and what a story and, and what, what truth. And yet he says, there's still nothing here that would 
cause him to go to be put to death. There's no reason why the Jews are after him so vehemently as they are. I don't see any reason to turn him over to them and allow them to kill him because he's done nothing worthy of death. And and he so he then finds out ends up talking to a, a fellow by the name of King Agrippa, and and Agrippa. He turns around and says, I'd love to talk to this Paul. I, I, I'd love to. And it, we get the implication that he knows a little bit about the law. Later on in our passage, we'll read that. And, and that he somehow understood some things about the Christian life. That, that he had heard about the Apostle Paul more than likely and wanted to meet him because he was interested. He had heard about the miracles, I'm sure. And he had heard about how Paul had been so involved uh, through the years uh, reaching out to the, 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 the uh, Asia Minor and, and starting churches and all of that took place. I'm sure he had some kind of background, even with the Apostle Paul. So nonetheless, he stands before Agrippa. And as Paul begins to speak, Agrippa permits him to speak. He says to Paul, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. So Paul, of course, anytime a, a Baptist preacher gets a chance to speak, he's going to open his mouth and start telling it like it is. He's going to tell him a little bit about the ministry, a little bit about the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he begins and he begins to tell him a little bit about his past and his and so forth. And, and, and we arrive at verse 12 here and let's pick up there. Verse 12 of the book of Acts chapter 26. And he goes on to say, whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, can I, I'm just going to throw something out here and you do what you want with it. But it's interesting from time to time when we see the word of God being spoken, we see um, Christ showing up on the scene. People have a hard time standing in his presence. Isn't it funny how people say things like, well, God told me to do this, but there's no humility about it at all? I, I have a problem. I, I don't know. I'm just looking at what's going on here. People are meeting with Christ, and let me tell you something. When they do, they all seem to end up on their face somehow. And so the Apostle Paul's mentioning this situation, and he says the same thing. We, he says, and when, verse 14, we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appointed unto thee, I have appeared unto thee for, a, for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. That Christ should suffer and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should shew light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. 
But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. What a powerful passage. So here is Paul standing before this king. Whether you understand this or not, whether I really grasp the concept or not, these could put him to death if they so choose in a sense. They had the authority, the power to do things with him that none of us could ever dream of. I understand that under Roman law, he was going to Rome, and I get that. But they could have already condemned him, and when he stood before Caesar, he would have already had the recommendation of this particular king, and I promise you, it would have held weight. But in this particular case, he speaks to Festus, and he speaks to Agrippa. And before it's over with, Festus stands to his feet, or at least speaks loudly and says, You are mad. Much learned made thee mad. You're out of your mind, Paul. You are off your rocker, just like Betty Crocker. Remember that when you used to play baseball? Pitchers off his rocker, just like that. You don't remember that. Well, I do. I do. They were always singing at me. I was a pitcher, you know. Some, and, and they'd say that stuff, and I'm like, oh, shut up. Especially when I threw a lot of balls instead of strikes. Didn't happen much. So anyway, nonetheless, though, but so, so and they're like, you're crazy, Paul. You're out of your mind. And Paul says, oh, no, I'm not. Matter of fact, there's somebody else in the room that I think would agree with me. And his name's Agrippa. And he goes on here in the passage to say, For the king, verse 26, knoweth of these things before whom also I speak freely. For I'm persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. He finally asked him, Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Well, I'll tell you what. Agrippa had some background. Agrippa understood some things. He had already been acquainted with the Lord Jesus, obviously, or at least the ministry of Christ, as well as the, as well as the Apostle Paul and others. He had heard about them. He had probably been exposed to that situation. He had already been raised up in the sense of the Jewish faith. He knew something about the Jewish faith. He had had some background. He had had a foundation already laid. This was nothing new to him, according at least to Paul's speech. But when it comes time to make a decision, when it comes time to get around to it, he didn't get around to it. He instead says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost. I mean, I'm not completely opposed. I'm not on the different end of the spectrum. I'm really not even in the middle. I'm real close. 
to believing and accepting and receiving what indeed you have just shared, Paul, almost. But I just, I'm not going to get around to it. Boy, I'll tell you what, Agrippa, I'm sure, was thinking about his political future. I'm thinking he was think, considering his, his present situation. I know that his future, obviously, could be in question. He had to be very careful what ground he tread here. But either way, whatever it was, whatever obstacle stood in his way, it kept him from making that decision to become a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me. Agrippa just never got around to it. And to our knowledge, we have no record in Scripture that he ever did. And so I suppose we could even go as far as to say, is it possible then that Agrippa never even had another opportunity to? Is it possible that he never received Christ, he never accepted the Lord, because his life never took another turn in a direction where he would be tempted even to accept Christ, where he'd be presented an opportunity to receive Christ. I don't know. What I'm telling you today is this. If God gives you an opportunity to trust him today, to receive and accept him today, my friend, don't say, I just, I'm not ready to get around to it. Because you may not get another opportunity to get around to it. So why do we need to get around to it? Why do we need to do that? I want to give you four reasons to get around to it. Four reasons to ultimately see yourself as the sinner that God says we all are. Four reasons to know why indeed we should seek out the Lord Jesus Christ who died on Calvary, was broken and shed his precious blood, ultimately buried and rose again. Why we should receive and accept him. Why we should ask him into our life. Why we should allow ourselves to become the Christian that Agrippa would not become. Four reasons. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us now in these next few moments. May your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. We desperately need you. Lord, if there be any that have not gotten around to it, receiving the Lord Jesus, allowing him to be their Lord, their Savior, we pray that they would settle that before they leave, before it's eternally too late. We pray, Lord, that you would just convict them of their sin, show them their need of Christ, For us as believers, may we not, Father, find ourselves apathetical toward the Lord. That we'd get around to being the very best Christian we can possibly be, not just settling for the mediocre, the mundane, not just getting through it or going through the motions, but instead truly meaning things and having a desire, a hunger, a thirst for you. We love you, we need you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, why do we need to get around to it? Why do we need to get around to making this Christ our Savior, our Lord? Believing on the Lord Jesus. Well, because we all have an appointment with death. Number one, we all have an appointment with death. You know, for a time I was getting my hair cut at a barber who scheduled appointments. That was kind of unusual. Now, I didn't say a hairdresser. I said a barber. And so anyway, I had a barber who scheduled appointments, okay? And I would call and I'd make the appointment. And when I arrived, he was ready for me. I really think he made 15-minute appointments. This guy was extremely good. He was very fast at what he did, but he was very tedious. He did a great job. If for some reason, however, I, I could not make the appointment, for some reason I just wasn't able to be there, I would just simply make a phone call and reschedule my appointment. 
He really wasn't that big a deal. He wasn't that upset. He had other people scheduled through the day. It was just like, oh, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Just give me a call. Just when can we put it? Let's, let's just schedule it right now. I'd say, well, let's just do it for such and such a time. You know, there are a number of appointments that we make in life. And truly, most often, you can reschedule them if you like. You really can. If it's necessary, you can reschedule. However, the Bible speaks of an appointment that cannot be rescheduled. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 27, the Bible says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. I don't have time to go into the next verse, which helps to quantify what he's actually saying. But the point being is, just as authoritative as it is that man will, has an appointment with death, so this is true as well. That's what's going on in verse 27 and 28. I don't have time to go into verse 28. So my point being is that this statement... When he says, as it is appointed unto men once to die, he's saying this is as true as true can get. You have an appointment with death. I have an appointment with death. That is a reality. That is a biblical truth. The appointment is written on the celestial calendar in heaven. It's in stone. It's not something that can be erased. It's not something that can be put off. You can't just simply choose to not keep that appointment. You can't call to heaven and say, God, you know, I'll tell you what, let's postpone that. You say, I remember somebody that did in the Bible. Yeah, a fellow by the name of Hezekiah. Do you really think you'll be the exception when there's been one in history? He got it put off for 15 years, but that's only because God said, you know what, let me take care of that for you. One person that I know of in the whole Bible, in the whole history of humanity. I don't think you'll be that exception and nor will I. We have an appointment and it's already in stone. It's written in heaven. And whether we like it or not, it is a reality. But you know, there's another truth concerning this appointment that's a little uneasy sometimes if we're not you know, if we, if we really understand this, this portion of it, it it's, makes us a little uneasy. You know what it is? You don't know when the appointment is. See, it's one thing when I schedule for my haircut. It's one thing when I schedule for my doctor's appointment. It's one thing when I schedule to go to uh, wherever it might be, and I know exactly when it's on the schedule. I know what day, the time, and the place. Let me tell you something. You and I don't know when this appointment comes. God does, we don't. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In the book of James, chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. The truth is, is that our lives are like a vapor, and the truth is it goes so quickly, and we're here today, we're gone tomorrow in the light of eternity. And what a hundred years may seem like a long life to God in eternity, it is a vapor. And we are all running head on with an appointment, an appointment of death. Why in the world should we just simply get around to it? I'll tell you why. Because we all have an appointment with death. Number two, why should we get around to it? Well, because we'll all stand before God, our creator. We're all going to have to stand before him. There's no getting out of that. We have an appointment with death, yes, but with that death comes 
a face-to-face -face reunion with the God, the creator of the universe. When I was in school, we'd get report cards. Now, back in the day, you'd receive a letter grade. Now, I know some schools have changed some of this. Some have left it the same. I don't know. But we used to get letter grades based upon your performance in the classroom. I'm just going to say this. It wasn't based on your effort. It was based on your performance. Just thought I'd throw that out there. But anyway, A, we're going to stick with the message, all right? A, B, C, D, E. We don't even like to think about that last one. And my dad was serious about our grades. When I was growing up, he was serious. I still remember how we'd come home uh, uh, from school that day that we, he, he knew, he always knew when the report cards were coming out. How's that work? But he knew, I don't know if my mom was calling the school or if he called the school, I don't know. But they always knew when the report cards were due. And we'd come home and he'd be sitting in his chair in the living room. We'd walk in the door and there all of a sudden he'd be like, all right, you got it? Take that report card, hand it to him. He'd, he'd take a look at it. He'd scan that report card. English, math. He, look at Jim, Dad. Look at Jim. <laughs> he didn't seem to care a whole lot about my gym cl class grade. But he'd look at all those grades and he'd look at them. A, B, C, D, E, F, or G, whatever. And I was like, wow. Now, listen, I... You may or may not appreciate this, right? And, and that's up to you. You do what you want with it. But bad grades were not acceptable in our house. Matter of fact, they were a punishable offense in my house. You, you, my dad expected us at school to give our very best. And he knew one thing about his kids. We weren't complete dummies. Notice I added the complete in front of it. We may try to act like we're not so smart, but my dad knew. He knew if we put our, our, our nose to the grindstone, he knew if we gave it our best shot that we would at least get a decent grade. He didn't expect all A's, but he didn't expect any F's or D's either. I promise you that. He didn't even like those C's too much. And I still remember after being lazy during a semester and maybe not doing my homework like I should or possibly sneaking in at the last minute and trying to cram for tests constantly. And then I'd think, oh man, I haven't done so well this semester. I've only got another three, four weeks. I better really get to it. And if I didn't get to it and I had that report card coming out that next week and I'm, I mean, the new semester already started, but I'm just that, that old report card's coming out. Man, I tell you what, I'd sit on pins and needles thinking about what my grade's actually gonna be. And man, I remember getting that report card and, and, and I just was like, oh, please let me get at least a B. Please let me at least get a C. No D's or F's, please. And I'd have to go stand before my dad. And if it was bad, it was bad. If it was good, it was good. I liked the good ones a lot better than the bad. And so did he. I dreaded the thought of facing my dad with a bad report card. Look, if you would, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, would you please? Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Here in Revelation chapter 20, we're going to read a passage that is not something that is very popular with me. I don't like reading it. I don't think it's very popular with you. It's not something that I like to even discuss or talk about too awfully much, to be frank with you. But notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 13. The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, 
from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Well, the truth is, is that we're going to stand before God. And it doesn't end there. We're going to touch on the next portion of that in just a moment. But the fact is, is that there is a judgment that awaits us. We have an appointment with death. That is unquestioned. That is a reality, a biblical truth. But not only that, we have an appointment to meet him face to face. One way or the other, we're going to stand before the Lord. One way or another, we're going to be judged. One way or another, we're going to have to deal with what and how we lived our lives here. Boy, and facing my dad with a bad report card, that was stressful and that was scary enough, my friend. Think about how much more ominous facing God will be one day if we face him undone and ill-prepared. If we end up before him without settling some real important issues, if we have neglected and rejected and pushed away the Christ that he sent, the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If we say and reject him and say, I want nothing to do with Christ, I, almost thou persuadest me. I has never got around to it, God. He says, I don't know about you, but that's kind of scary to face him that way, if you ask me. Because, see, we already found out that we need to get around to it because we all have an appointment with death and because we all stand before God, our creator. But here's the third one, and it goes along, and we'll continue with that portion that we just read because there's a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. We better get around to it. It's imperative, and it is important that we get around to it. In Revelation, again, chapter 20 there, the last two verses of that particular passage, it says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Notice he says this is the second death. That means that there are two deaths then. God wouldn't use the word second if it was the first and only. It is the second death. What he's saying is, is that we die the first time physically. But the second death, according to the scripture, is to be eternally separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. It's a spiritual death. Oh, yes, when we die, our body will go in the grave and, and it'll turn to dust. But our soul will continue. And that soul will spend an eternity in a place called heaven or a place called hell. And when we die, we have an appointment with death, mind you. It's coming, and we don't know when, but it is coming for sure. We're going to stand before God in judgment. And if we have not settled this issue with Christ, if we have not received and allowed him to pay for our sin, he did that on Calvary for a reason. He didn't just come to show us an example of suffering. He came because without suffering, without shedding his precious blood, without dying and being buried and rising again, without being a perfect holy, righteous Savior who paid the penalty for sin, which is death. You and I could never be free of our sin. We could never be free of our guilt. He literally took our place. He paid for our sin. And so we're going to keep that appointment whether we like it or not. We're going to stand before God whether we like it or not. 
And there is a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun. And my friend, let me tell you today, you don't want to end up in the wrong one. The Bible says, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Do you know that there's a God today? And may I say, in the beginning, God is the only God. The one and only God It's the God of Genesis, the God of the Bible, the God that created all things. He says in that passage, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now we can say all day, it doesn't matter that there there may be many gods. Well, then which one created? And I don't know about you, but I'd rather go with the one that created all things. And personally, I tell you, from the Bible, I don't see any place in the word of God where there's any room for any other God but the one of this book. Now listen, that is not a topic, that is not a, a position that is very popular in our culture because everybody has a right to believe however they want about anything. I can't tell you you're wrong. You're not going to tell me I'm wrong. We're all right. And if I don't want to believe in the God of the Bible, that's okay too. I'll make up my own God if I want to. And my God's just as important, just as powerful, just as reasonable as your God. That's the mentality today. But may I tell you today, it doesn't change the fact that we have a book called the Word of God that is from the very beginning to the very end. I'm talking about before you were ever here, before I was ever even conceived. I want you to know that God had already put this book. It's already written in heaven. And now we've had an opportunity to hold it in our hands. And the truths of the Word of God are truths that we live by and that we will die by and that our future will be determined by. In the beginning, God... Jehovah God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, so God is, and God did create. And he goes on to say in Genesis 1:27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I want you to know that God did all of this. And you know, most of us in this room, if not all, probably go, well, we believe that the Bible's, you know, that, okay, we, we can go with that. And if you don't believe the Bible's God's word, my friend, we'd be more than happy to try to help you with that. But the truth is, is that God's word is his word. God's word. This book, the Bible, is God's word. And you know what we believe? We'll say, well, I believe in creation. I believe in God. Well, let me ask you something. If you believe what you read in Genesis, how could we ever not believe what we read in Revelation? How could we believe this portion of the Bible, Genesis 1 through Genesis 50, but not believe... Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, because it's so unpleasant. Everybody likes to talk about new creations. but We don't want to talk about a judgment or consequence for sin. The problem is, is that whether it's Genesis or whether it's Revelation or any of the books in between, it's all God's word and it's all authoritative and it is all true. And someone says, you are narrow-minded, my friend, or you are way too open-minded with the Word of God. I don't care. You call it what you want, but I believe that this Bible is the Word of God from cover to cover, and what it says is what it means. And may I say today, if you don't believe that, then you believe something. You're putting your faith in someone or something. My question is, who or what? And the one thing we know about God is that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he was then, he is now. And what he is now, he'll be then. He's consistent and he's capable. And boy, I encourage you to believe on him. Agrippa, what are you going to do with Jesus? Well, I just can't get around to it. Not now. 
My friend, I want to encourage you to get around to it. Let me tell you why. Because there, because we all have an appointment with death, because we all stand before God, our creator, because there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And finally, because there are no do-overs. There are no do-overs. I mean to tell you, we're talking about a heaven and a glorious place it is, my friend. I'm talking about with streets of gold and gates of pearls and walls of jasper and many mansions. But there's also that place called hell or the lake of fire with its eternal flames, its ghastly horrors, its endless suffering and its gnawing regret. There are no do-overs on this one. You either get it right in this life or you don't get it right. After it snowed the other day, I was in the backyard of our house and uh, I was amazed how heavy the snow was. You know, sometimes you walk outside in the snow and you can hear it crunching and crackling. Then other times you almost sink in it. It's almost spongy. I like it when it gets, when it gets uh, real heavy snow, when it gets like thick snow. You, you, you know, we call that good packing snow. And I like packing snow. You know, it's the kind of snow that kids love because you can make a snowman or a snow fort or, or, or you, can, you can especially make snowballs. I love snowballs as long as I'm not the one getting hit by them. I, I, I'll be honest with you. I like to throw things. I do. I like throwing things. You know, I, I, I like throwing footballs or baseballs, basketballs, bowling balls even. Now, I don't throw them like this. I throw them like that. Have you ever watched somebody bowl and they go like this and the ball goes... <laughs> you ever, what is wrong with that picture? You're to roll a bowling ball, not toss it. Just a little... Bend your knees. Oh, that hurt my knee right there too. That just, that just cracked right there. That wasn't good. Angela, can I borrow that wheelchair, please? But anyway, um, so nonetheless, we, we're, we're rolling these, these bowling balls. We're throwing basketballs. I love doing that stuff. You, you get the picture, you know, throwing things. Well, while I was out there, I decided to make, some, uh, make a snowball, and I, and I thought that, that in, in about 30 or 40 feet away was our fence, and there was a fence post, and I thought, I'm going to hit that fence post. So I packed it nice, and I don't like the real big ones because you've got to get your hand around it, so I don't have big hands, so I made it small. I was like, Perfect form, right? So anyway, it went taken off. I was a little low and to the left. Now, I'm kind of a competitive person. There wasn't anybody out there, right? Nobody watching, but I knew I missed. I bend, let me work on this bending down thing. So I bend down, and I, I got a snowball, and I made me another one. And I lined it up. I threw it. You could hear it sizzling. I missed again. Come on. So I bend down again. By now my hands are getting freezing. They're frozen. I'm packing another one. I line her up. Smack right on. I'm like, yeah, I still got it. Still got it. Now, I got a number of do-overs. But I eventually hit the fence post. Took me a while, but I got there, right? But unfortunately, there's no do-overs with this one. You're going to be born, and you were born. 
You're here. You were born. And you grew up. And now you're big enough to sit in the auditorium and hear the preacher preach. And you're getting older and older as each day goes. The longer God allows you on this earth, the older your body gets, the older you get. And there's coming a day when you're going to have to keep that appointment. And when that day comes, whether you're ready or not, you're going to meet God and have to give an account. And depending on what you've done with Christ, it'll determine your future destination. Either heaven or that horrible place we don't even like to talk about called hell. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. It doesn't matter how sorry you are. It doesn't matter how much regret you have as you stand before God and he says, I'm going to have to get rid of you. I've got to cast you in that lake because you've chosen to bear the burden of your own sin. You didn't allow my son to pay the price. You go, but God, I'm sorry. If I could only do it again, I know I'd change things. I would never do what I did. I'm so sorry. Just give me another chance, please, God. There are no do-overs. You either get it right in this life or it'll be wrong in the next. But if you get it right in this life, it'll be right in the next too. How many times have I talked to somebody about Christ? Oh, I told them about how Jesus Christ was born by a virgin. He was born without sin as we understand it because he had no earthly father. He had a heavenly father. He lived a perfect sinless life. And I tell them how he began his earthly ministry trying to reach the world, helping them understand he was the one that had been promised all along that could remove that sin stain of Adam. Because he was the only one that could live up to the expectation of God. He was the only possible propitiation. Which means he was the only one that could fulfill the righteous demands of a holy God. And so he died, was buried, and he rose again. He had victory over the grave. He was God in flesh. He lives today. And he is offering each and every one of us an opportunity to live like he now lives. To have eternal life with him in a place called heaven. And I share these truths. And I say, all you need to do is understand, according to the Bible, that you're a sinner. And that Jesus Christ loved you so much that he died on a cross to pay for your sin. That if you will only humble yourself before God and receive and accept him as your Lord and Savior, he will forgive your sin and he will come into your life and he will take you to heaven one day. But you have to trust him. You have to believe. And some say, I don't know. I just haven't gotten around to it. 
and now's not the time. Do you realize, do you realize there are no do-overs? Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next month, preacher, but not now. I just can't get around to it now. I've got my own life to live. I've got some dreams to fulfill. I've got some directions I want to go. I've got some life to live. I can't be bound up. I can't allow Christ to wreck and ruin my plans. I've got friends that may even cost me a few friends if I trust Christ and give up some of the vices in my life. I can't afford to do that. I'm young or I'm middle-aged or maybe older and I've got some things set in my life. I don't have time for that. I just can't get around to that right now. You don't know whether you have even tomorrow. Don't take that chance. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Won't you settle it today? Paul says to King Agrippa, <clears throat> Believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, oh, I would to God. I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am. Except these bonds. Paul was saying, oh, King Agrippa, not only would I have you get around to it, but I would that everyone get around to it. To our knowledge, Agrippa never got around to it. You probably got around to it and ended up here today. Now the real question is, will you get around to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we all have an appointment with death. We're going to all stand before God, our Creator, because there is a heaven to shun and a hell, excuse me, a, heaven to, a hell to shun and a heaven to gain, and there are no do-overs. There are no do-overs. Why don't you get around to it today? Why don't you accept Christ today? Just deal with it. Receive Him because He loves you that much. Reward His faithfulness to die on Calvary to pay for your sin. And say, Lord, you loved me. I can't help but love you. Come into my life. Be a part of my life. I, I invite you into my life. I believe on you today. Get around to it while you can. Father, we come to you.